Hello everyone, this is Ali from the future and I wanted to take a moment to tell you about this episode before it starts playing. As you can tell from the title, this is going to be about what is currently happening in Gaza. It was recorded on the 28th of October and it is going to be released on the 21st of November 2023. Hopefully by the time that you are listening to this, there will be a ceasefire, but as of now, it has not happened yet. And it is an emotional episode and it is about addressing the current feeling that we are experiencing it is an episode in english and i do apologize for my arab audience but it is primarily for arabs in diaspora because i feel like they are lacking the support system that we are currently having here and i basically wanted to discuss the feeling with a therapist who could possibly be able to help and offer some kind of guidance i am not a person who's capable of creating concrete change but i'm hoping that an episode like this might be some form of a hug for people and i really really hope that you guys are doing okay that you're doing well and that you are capable of taking care of yourselves in this difficult moment unfortunately <laughs> i can't say that i am i am struggling myself so this episode was also a moment of reflection for myself there will be no music in this episode or any other episode that is talking about gaza out of respect for the victims and i hope this episode can offer you some kind of solace but i would like to reiterate that it will be an emotional one and please tread with caution because it might be triggering i will leave you to it thank you for listening and see you soon malak law andak shibshib tirmi ala min what a way to start ala min aw ala ashay ala alwada alli ehna fi at the state of being so um confused mm. disabled not being able to do anything or this this feeling or this place of the state of helplessness yeah. the state of helplessness and how this situation has made many people feel as such and from that comes you know these feelings of guilt mm-hmm. although i really challenge when people say that word guilt because guilt implies misconduct and in truth or from my perspective it is a deep deep sorrow for feeling helpless but the helplessness was done unto onto people not yes. a choice and yes. that 
is where the ship should go. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that you chose this one specifically because this is essentially what this series of episodes for Lola Jarti are. I I'm not a politician, I'm not a policymaker, I'm not a doctor, I can't go on the ground. But what I can offer is a sense of community for people and to help them understand that there is always something to do and there's always a way to contribute and not feel helpless. But sometimes there you just run out of ideas or I guess that you assume that there's like one, two, three things that any person can do and they stop there. But, you know, it's it's so much more than that. It is so much more. And I mean, oh God, I can go on for ages about the things that we can do to help. But first of all, I think we need to help ourselves by realizing that, you know, this is not our fault. It, it really is not. It absolutely is not. And to put that guilt onto ourselves when it that's not, we're not the ones who should be feeling guilty right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you started the episode with that. I'll tell you where mine is. Mine comes out of a bit more anger. I'm not going to lie. Mine is directed for every person of color who has experienced racism, oppression, any type of discrimination and is not standing on the side of Palestinians. Because that feels so isolating more than anything else. To know that you're someone who has experienced what Palestinians have gone through and you're not speaking up that one that one hurts a lot it hurts a lot for someone to not understand the language of suffering to dehumanize us just as much as they have been dehumanized that's for me that's a big ouch i think an element as well is if they're able to see that are they is that individual or is that group or you know are they able to see and relate to or know that that group relates to what they've experienced? You'd hope so. so. You'd think so. Because like, in the mm-hmm. online climate and all of everything that we get online and all of the online activism and all of these things, you'd think that we have created a language or a framework to explain how our societies are functioning. So for someone to have access to all that knowledge and still miss is a big one. And I don't know, part of me just maybe feels that, I don't know if it's that guilt thing again, but it's like, have we seriously failed at showing our message to the world? But honestly, I mean, that's, oh, I feel like that's going to be a part of the episode later on. (laughs) But I do want to start and introduce you before people just imagine a floating head. So, Absolutely. My name is Malak Kamel. Um, I am a licensed psychologist and psychotherapist. I'm the founder and director of UP, uh, UP Therapy and Wellbeing. We are, um, well, we have two practices. (laughs) 
We are both an online therapy center. That's how we began two and a half years ago. So we are an online therapy center for clients around the globe from various um, cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, origins, and living in various parts of the world. We are also a center that provides uh, in-person services uh, with our first uh, physical branch for UP, having opened in uh, Cairo uh, in March of 2023, this year. Um, and UP initially began in March of 2021. So an online therapy center for two and a half years now ongoing and an in-person therapy center for a little over six months now uh, with that in-person branch right now being in Cairo. And I say first branch because inshallah we're going, yeah, to, to cool places elsewhere as well. That's who I am and that's what up is. Can you tell us a bit about the initiative that you are currently doing for what's happening in Gaza? Yeah, so um, the initiative, I guess, is just responding uh, as best we can, seeing what we, um, as up and our team of uh, practitioners, we're now a team of 10 uh, clinicians, what we can do to support. So basically, we are now, uh, we have... You know, we posted something uh, earlier this week where we are offering um, counseling sessions online for um, uh, Palestinians uh, displaced around around the globe, uh, first generation, second generation. Third, it, you know, it really it really doesn't matter. There's no um, you know limit or 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 specific frame to it. But Palestinians around the globe, we are also offering uh, counseling sessions for um, crisis relief workers, journalists. Um, and the third thing that we're going to be doing and we're doing and preparing for is uh, providing support for professionals. So clinicians, therapists, psychologists who are supporting people in distress, we're going to be, uh, we're putting together a, a support group for them um, to assist while they support others. So we felt on those three different levels, we could do something as up and all of the above uh, are complementary uh, services. Um, and all people have to do is to, you know, open the Instagram profile page and click on the link in the bio and fill out the form and you'll, you'll quick really realize uh, and know I'm, I'm not very tech savvy. It's fine. But, we will uh, link up all how, the details yeah. under the episode. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Thank I want to start by asking you. Um, actually, no. You wanted to say something about how you are representing yourself as a therapist in this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've been invited here as a professional. So, in that sense, you know, this is my. Uh, you know, all the questions that, that, that you, or the discussions in the back and forth and the interesting kind of things that we're going to share, this is kind of uh, me speaking from a professional stance. Uh, who I am personally uh, is to be kind of aside, um, you know, in our space as, as clinicians, as psychologists, 
we have kind of these uh, these uh, dual identities, our personal life, our professional life. And I guess everyone in every industry kind of, you know, in every space, you know, can have the same, um, let's say, um, separation or delineation, let's say. But um, this separation in our industry and in, 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 in terms of exactly what we do, you know, during that 50-minute therapy session, that separation is key. It is so mm-hmm. key because that is what allows that therapy space to be the client's space. Um, that said, you know, regardless of who I am in my personal life or who I am in my professional life, across both spaces, I'm a human. <laughs> so there is the humanity always <laughs> during the therapy session, regardless of the topic. But uh, yeah, I kind of, I, I guess I just wanted to share that be so that this is not like, oh, this is what Malak, um, this is, this is Malak Kemal, the psychologist, rather than, you know, asking me personal questions about my personal life. Um, if that um, makes sense. There goes half of the questions I wanted to ask. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Saraha, speaking gotcha. of humanity, I think <laughs> all of our humanities are currently in crisis because we are seeing everything that we are currently seeing and we just keep our asking, like we keep asking ourselves, how is this happening? Why is this happening? How on earth are people not, their hearts are not breaking? How are they not? breaking glass and scorching the earth and i mean i feel like that's that's how this episode was born we were chatting about just whatever was happening and we kind of just ended up ranting for an hour and then you were like i think this should be a podcast episode and because all our identities are currently in crisis and one of the things that i was telling you is i don't know how my grandparents survived the nakba and everything and still manage to maintain their humanity and i i'm so curious to know what has been the ongoing theme with your chats lately with therapy in general with you and your co-workers has this been affecting everyone in that way it's definitely been affecting everyone i i i you know we don't i don't think there's anyone who isn't um, who isn't affected by this um, I think when you were saying, how are people not, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, stomping or this or that, and, you know, literally metaphorically, I, I think they are, Ali. I, I think they are. The, the challenge is that the stomping, the speaking, the this, it, it, you know, the, 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 the pain here from my perspective in terms of what I'm seeing on on the ground or as you know in the therapy rooms and and just even just speaking with colleagues is how much louder does it have to be why is it not resulting in anything not that they're not stomping or speaking people are but it's just and then what and actually i think what has lately as well been quite beautiful is is seeing you know different groups as well speaking and responding 
and stomping. The scariest thing though, I think, is that, okay, and now what? And why is You're it right. still? And then it makes us ask, okay, so if all of this still isn't, then what does it mean in terms of who here or what here? What is the deciding factor or who is the decision mm. maker? And mm. that becomes the very, on an existential level, that becomes the question here. It's like, oh no, all of us together, we can do this. Let's go. So we go. Yeah. And it's more. It's more yeah. people come. Yeah. And it's still. And so then it's like, hold on. What's, what's happening here? This is, I think, what, again, I'm, I'm you know, in terms of my therapy practice and, 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 you know, the angle that I come in, psychodynamic work, existential work. So a lot of this, you know, is really speaking to me, you know, um, from the clinical lens therapeutic approach and style that I bring mm. uh, into my work um, and, and ter in terms of psychodynamic psychotherapy, existential humanistic therapy, that is the space that I work in. And so perhaps that is why I'm seeing things from, from that lens and framework. Um, but I recognize that that's just one way to see it. It's, it's only my professional perspective, right? Yeah. Let me tell you something that's been really fascinating with my experience. So I've said this before on the show, but I'm ethnically Palestinian. Both sides of my family originally come from Palestine, but my father has a Jordanian passport and my mom has a Saudi passport and I was born and raised here. And my identity as a Palestinian has always been attached to the trauma and specifically of even though like when you're born within a culture and you get to experience all its beauty, etc. But the, I understood what being Palestinian is, is through seeing the news of the Intifada in 2000. And I was raised with this mentality that as a Palestinian, war is such a normal part of your life. There's a sky above you, there's an earth beneath you, and there's war around you. And that's just how life works. But now I'm 27. And with this specific experience, I started realizing how people have to perform to be considered human. And just kind of looking at the West's point of view of everything that's been happening. And you just really realize, you know, God, like some people don't think that you're a human being. But then I started asking myself is what, why am I waiting for them? Am I myself taken on that burden? Am I having to humanize myself? Am I not good enough to humanize myself? It's starting, and I feel like that has become an ongoing theme amongst people in this region. Them realizing that, where, who are we waiting for? Who are we waiting to decide for us that we are human beings? And this is, it's starting to feel like a somewhat of an emotional revolution where people are starting to understand that there is this inferiority complex that we have all had in ourselves that needs to be addressed. And I think that there's so much rage and anger that is accompanied with that sentiment that we just need to start addressing because it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I can't believe I'm now 27 years old and it took me 
recently this to start realizing that this is actually something that we need to collectively as Arabs address? First of all, I'll say a couple of things. One, I think as you were speaking, I was thinking of the word validation, almost like mm. who who am I waiting for to validate this, mm-hmm. you know, this part of, so that's, and then that, that again kind of brings about perspective. Well, whose perspective or whose lens, you know, whose lens are we kind of deeming to be more valid or worthy or this or that? And um, definitely, given my uh, uh, cultural background and uh, my identity, I have had that experience. I am having that experience. Uh, but I think more so, and that's you know that's undeniable. That's a given. You know, that's not something to 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 hide or be. Uh, you know. Uh, shy of uh, of sharing but i think what's what's more interesting truly is to is how i'm seeing that happen kind of and unfold with everyone i'm communicating with especially kind of in that um therapy space you said something interesting you uh, you you and i just kind of want to go back to it you said the the sky above me the earth beneath me and the war around me as just a fact of life yeah the the collective identity be it uh, arab be it palestinian be it as you know just a human honestly is um is vast and what's happening now is vast Mm. that's for sure did i answer your question no I kind of and no. That's why we, we do that really well, by the way. We do that we do that very well. You were asking me have I had that experience and I have have I been seeing that? Okay. I mean it is a yes or no yeah. question, to be fair. But I was hoping undeniably. More for you to kind of... So yes, I as I said, undeniably as well, I added that I'm seeing that kind of happening in um with people around me. Yeah. Do you think this is going to you wanted so in our previous chat you use the word renaissance for Arab identity. What does that mean to you? I really do feel like we are on the brink of a renaissance Mm. and a beautiful one at that. A beautiful one at that. Um, One that is intellectual, one that is artistic, one that is um, well-spoken, one that is loud one that is colorful one that is also warm and empathic one that is resilient one that is based on the unity of Mm. our collective identity and i think we are going to really tune into the parts of us that are ready to come alive you know the parts of us whether what it is that we have to, again, what it is that we have to share, our philosophical ideas, our ideologies, our values, our uh, uh, how we're going to be expressing ourselves through art, how we're going to be writing, I, I, you know, who we are going to want to share our, our voice with. I really do feel like we are going through um, and experiencing and on the brink of, let's say, you know, a, uh, 
an Arab collective renaissance. And I, and I actually, and, and, and if we aren't, then I hope we are. And I hope yeah. I kind of plant a seed to say this is in a way what, what needs to come what of all of this. Done. What Absolutely. needs to be done. This is the, the only way forward. This, this is, is how the, you not feel helpless. This is by helping yes. yourself. Absolutely. Because it is really fascinating. Because, you know, I think for, I want to say, <laughs> tens of years you know, as a result of colonization, we had the sentiment that the Western way is the right way in terms of education, in terms of vernacular, in terms of a language. Just the fact that we oftentimes feel more comfortable talking about our emotions, our culture in the English language as bilinguals, it, it says a lot. But now people are realizing that because of, of understanding the Western sentiment and the Western language that we look upon ourselves as Arabs and we realize that we've been missing out. We have been missing out because we adopted what the West view us and we started viewing us in the same way. And then we just started realizing that, oh, like we've actually been missing out on our culture and the things that we've always known to be beautiful about our culture, people outside can't see it. And that's heartbreaking. That is one of the biggest heartbreaks of what is currently happening. Not knowing that it is one thing for life to go collateral for the sake of war. It is one thing for, you know, people to be denounced as numbers, two numbers, but then seeing that the beauty that the absolute beauty of one's culture be completely denounced by others that for me was one of the wildest things so i really hope arabs are now like uh you know what you are undeserving of my beauty of this culture but i want to hold on to it for as much as possible and i really really hope that this becomes like such a resurgence of language and art mm -hmm. and I just want people to hold on to that as much as possible. And, you know, as much as this moment is giving us a sense of panic and crisis, I wonder if people are drawing some form of strength from it. Because this, this collective rage that we are all feeling is, is unifying at some point. Because how can you not feel it? How can you not yeah. feel it? If you're not feeling it, you're not a human being. There's something absolutely wrong with you. And, and and that's truly what I'm seeing, and that's mm. I am I am seeing kind of this uh, unification, this this, and and also kind of like different parts of oneself coming together to to move in a certain direction, you know I I, I some of the things we've been speaking about in sessions is, you know clients uh, sharing, um, there are different parts of me. There's this side of me that's part of this cultural, and then there's that side, and that's part of this. And whether that's because of a nationality, or whether that's because of I was uh, born here, but I was raised there, or I have this, you know, or uh, you know, I was born and raised here, but then I, again, I was educated in a system that comes from. So all of these different parts of ourselves, and I think what we're in has questioned a lot of that ex internal uh, experience. Like it's as if there's these forces kind of pulling in this direction, that direction. But what I, what I really see 
is that people are kind of making sense of all of all of that it's and 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 coming kind of to a place to say this is who i am mm-hmm. this is what i have to say and i'm a human first um i think as well that more recently mm-hmm. uh, there has been again not with all groups uh but many arabs from a younger generation and more recent generations have been privileged to have uh, access to education on um you know on a on a grander level let's say mm-hmm. a higher level or um i actually don't even want to say grander or higher but access to education that wasn't uh, provided to them um you know in in certain arab countries or arab arab states and um that is a privilege that many of us have had and i think many people are really thinking about how to use that quite well and mm. how to use that to yeah how to use that uh effectively um and well that's what i've seen very much happening around me that's actually really fascinating that you say this because um again in like part of this i want to call it internalized colonization just for physical mm-hmm. reasons mm-hmm. but we we kind of started becoming what the west considers as educated and this has been happening for a long time you know the forms of education in the orient in the call i don't know i don't want to, I don't want to call it the global south but outside of modern western culture was in a different format and then in the past 200 years more and more arabs started adopting a western structure of education and we were mm-hmm. able to perform and outperform and show our side etc and it was only when we were able to walk with or rather mirror the western image that we were starting to be humanized and i think now a lot of people around the world are kind of surprised that Palestinians are eloquent, that they are educated, that they're able to represent mm-hmm. their cause. And mm-hmm. it's worked on our side for people you know, around the world to be like, oh, they're human beings. They're valid. Their voices are valid. Mm-hmm. But for us as Arabs, we're kind of frustrated that now like it took this to humanize us. It took us speaking mm-hmm. English, using a Western vernacular, using mm-hmm. academic terms and being able to you know work with american journalists and british journalists for them to just be like oh, okay they're human beings and i think that bubble has burst we started realizing that kalam fadi kalam fadi you know uh, i think another first of all i 100% agree with what you're saying i think the other piece that we have to keep in mind is it was then it wasn't and now it's coming back but because it wasn't for a gap of time in between so when it became it became warped with this and so now i think we have to decide how it will be because oh absolutely there were generations before our parents our grandparents there was a lot the center of knowledge 
was here. It was, you know, or the strength, you know, people, center is relative, fine. But there was so much strength and knowledge here, generations past. I wrote a post for anyone who would wanted to ask questions. And actually, one of the questions I think is relevant to what we are currently talking about. Someone asked, how do you deal with collective gaslighting and how to respond to it? And I think mm-hmm. this is it. It's you have to stand firm and know your own history and know your own mm-hmm. knowledge. And for a while, our only access was to Orientalist knowledge and Orientalist historians who were able to tell us about our own culture. But now we have so much content that are written by Arabs, that sorry, content written by Arabs, and as well as just a plethora of academic work that is created by Arabs about our own culture. So if you want to get over the gaslighting, you have to learn as much as you can about your own culture. You have to know what is happening you have to learn how to have media literacy to be able to look through sift through all of this information that we are getting that is gaslighting that is dehumanizing and i think people are now more and more and more aware of how to read through news articles just titles that are i don't know if it's time to like mention about how like sometimes they just use the worst vocabulary to describe arabs versus westerners and to get over the gaslighting is you have to have your own firm identity. You need to know what your history is. Because as soon as you have to rely on somebody else telling you who you are, you're failing. And I'd add on to that, who you, who you want to be and, and thus who you choose to be. You know, mm. you know? so, it's, so it's, it's definitely where I've been or where I've come from, the history, you know, in my life, in, 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 you know, within my family, my lineage, my culture, you know, definitely that part that is the past, the story up until now, but also looking forwards and who mm. do I want to be and how does that help me decide now what I yes. choose to do, you know? And so I choose now, you know, and this, by the way, is a, a personal choice and a professional one that I'm very comfortable sharing. I choose now, as Malak Kamil, <laughs> to take proper Arabic classes in how I can speak professionally in Arabic and how I, I can feel that. as comfortable expressing myself. I am very comfortable expressing myself in English and I wish I was this comfortable expressing myself in Arabic. Mm. And so that's something that I personally and professionally choose to do now. It's something I've always wanted to do. But now more than ever, it is time to get on that. It's yes. been on my, you know, personal to-do list for so long. Oh, no. my! I'm actually really so, excited because, you know? <laughs> like, I can help you practice, if anything. Please, please. And, and, and that is something that, you know... And, and at one point, I learned how to speak French professionally. When I lived in I did that. I learned and I sat and I learned the social worker kind of vernacular in French. And I did it and I was able to practice. And just, I can definitely do that in my own language. Absolutely. So, so, 
here actually there you go i i, I brought myself into <laughs> the discussion yay. for you uh yay yeah let's um, do more questions and we'll get your bank password i will add something about um collective gaslighting so this is really important you need to learn how to stop a conversation or rather stop an argument and to know when it's not going to go well um the difficult part here is that you're having conversations with people who are deeply indoctrinated and who have such an askewed lens of their own culture that no matter how many facts you throw at them no matter how many statistics and stories and pictures they have such strong beliefs that you're just not going to be able to get through that and you have to understand that that it's going to be a waste of energy at some point if a person mm-hmm. is incapable of humanizing you that is not your fault that is absolutely theirs and end the conversation there if you yeah. find the confirmation where someone because i've had a lot of conversations with um zionists who are arguing in my dms about what's happening and wanting to prove that one side is wrong and one side is right etc and you can argue as much as possible and you can be calmly proving your facts showcasing information But in the end of the day, if the person in front of you does not want to humanize you, it's a lose-lose situation. So step out of that. And you need to protect protect your own self. You're not going to be able to, you know, end this war through a conversation. But you can strengthen your identity when you end that conversation. I would say engage. Engage where it is productive and it is healthy. Mm-hmm. Disengage. when it is unhealthy and unproductive. Absolutely. And this is also it goes into another question that we were asked was was um we were asked how to deal with feelings out of place how to how to deal with feeling out of place and must understood in the west during genocide. It's it bleeds into the older question. You need to have a strong sense of self. and you need to understand that you are worth it and you deserve humanity and you deserve love and you deserve everything that any human being deserves because we learn to dehumanize ourselves and that's that's mm-hmm. that's the really bad part about everything that is currently happening and it's it's really unfortunate because we also identified ourselves with our tragedy but we are so much more than that we are our beautiful culture we are all the joy that we have currently been deprived of feeling we are all of that yeah so if you I feel love that out you of said place, we are all the joy we really are you know joy is an act of yeah. resistance It because is. after you know at some point we are going to have to dig out the flowers out of the rubble like it's we're going to have to do that but we we're not going to be able to live in this disaster it's not going to be a life and we're going to have you to know, sift through so much trauma and we're going to have to sift through so much anger but at its core you have to tell yourself you are allowed to feel joy you are allowed to love your culture you are allowed to be valid and you have to make that decision for yourself when you said joy it made me kind of uh it not reminded me but it brought kind of to 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 the forefront in in my you know mind and and visual imagery um how great we are at uh, or how great the uh, we are the Arab collective identity you know is at um when experiencing pain still 
you know, being kind and, and, and making a, sometimes cracking a joke or playing music or just, you know, creating a, a holding space of, of joy, even in the midst of grief. So absolutely. Um, so yeah, and and also, and and that that's part of one of the coolest things about us, actually. And now with discussion of joy, <laughs> I feel like I have to counter it and bring in the question of what are we going to do with all of this collective rage that we are feeling. And I've I've been thinking about this because we're going to have so much rage. We already have a lot of it. We have so much rage and so much energy and we have been crying for weeks. And people I know who have never shown any interest in politics and never interest in watching the news are severely affected by this because this might be the first time that we have noticed the genocide in real time. And what are what are we going to do with all of this anger? How the hell are we going to hold on to our humanity? And this this is, I think, the question that everyone wants answered. What the hell are we going to do with all of this anger? Um, you know, if a, if, mm. if a client was sitting in front of me and saying, what do I do with all this anger? Well, first of all, I would have to, and I would tell them too, that we have to um, acknowledge it, allow it to be listen to it, hear what it has to say, and decide how we move forward with it. In what direction? Revenge is not a direction. And I, you know, that, that I guess everyone has the right to do what they wish, but I think really we have to think of, you know, how do I move forward in a way that is healthy and constructive and that aligns with my values and with the values of the, you know, um, uh, world or society or group or home or, you know, specific entourage that I would like to be part of. I, I, I think my my response right now is a little uh, jumbled by the different kind of tones or the you know the, as part of the the question started one way then then went yeah. went somewhere and then ended with what do I do with this anger but to be honest with you that anger is fair and it is valid and I think it's about really sitting with it Absolutely. and allowing it to be so that we can then decide thoughtfully, mindfully where we go rather than acting on impulse, rather than acting on the, the impulse of that emotion, which is the rage, which might then, you know, say, well, rage revenge, rage revenge. Hold it, contain it. Don't need to act on it right away. Sit with it. Think about it. Where does it come from? What does it mean? What parts of it, uh, what parts of you are um, coming to the surface because of this? What does that mean? Where can you go? What can you do? What can you read? What? And then where do I go with it? What do I share? What do I write? Where do I, you know, how do I support someone? It, I just, um, 
where to go with this uh, rage. I, again, it, you know, rage sounds, if you are enraged, you have the right to be. <laughs> it's an enraging situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is unfair. It is unjust. And I think we have to really take a look at our resources and competencies and capacities within us and that around us to see how we move forward in a healthy, productive um, way that moves us individually and our groups or communities or societies forward healthily. I think for us, specifically for Palestinians who are outside of, of the land of Palestine, we are having to really confront our intergenerational trauma and our identity. And again, like we're right now in such a privileged position because we we can but we can right now live. And it's it's really difficult for us to to even compare or support or anything because we're not on the ground. We are not experiencing this genocide first hand. And like, again, I know as a Palestinian, I am so lucky and privileged that the only thing I get out of this is an identity crisis. You know, I'm so grateful that this is my only problem. But this is going to be a problem for the generation who survives this. Because I doubt, you know, these children who are going to grow up orphaned, they're going to have a guiding voice that teaches them how to break the trauma curse. But for us people who are currently outside of that, it unfortunately is our responsibility. Because, for example, if I use myself, I have been raised by two generations of people who have experienced PTSD from displacement and war. And that is something that I'm currently like arguing with my dad regularly, who has experienced a massacre firsthand and having to explain to him that we cannot introduce my niece to these visuals. But to him, this was normal. His comment to me was, what do you mean we can't tell her at this age? That was the age when I was burying bodies. So how, like, how the hell do we break the cycle? Mm. Mm. Uh, as you were speaking, you know, and, and before you mentioned um, two generations, I was actually going to say something along of the lines of, let's circle it back to something you had said earlier when you mentioned your grandparents and the humanity. Mm. You know, and I was going to mention, and then you mentioned, you know, kind of my two generations, and here I am now having discussions or whatnot with my dad about this. I think, again, here we go. If you can, if they are around, if you are able to talk to or discuss or pull from the experiences of those generations. Not to say that you have to do what they, you know, because here you are telling your dad, I don't know if we're going to apply it this way. But again, it's taking from those spaces 
from those discussions. Looking inwards, seeing what makes sense to you, looking forwards, what kind of, I don't know, uh, future steps, uh, you know, a uh, 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 cultural kind of uh, design, do we, do I want for me, for my niece, you know, and from there eventually comes the answer, which is combining all of that past, looking forward, deciding what you do in the present. So I was thinking this morning about, because again, like I was prepping a few points for this episode and I kept asking myself, Yanni, how come Eshmana, my grandparents, my parents were able to remain resilient and I kept thinking about this very specific thing. I think my grandparents and my dad were very privileged to have experienced the beauty of Palestine firsthand. That they knew what they were fighting for. It is, it is joy as an act of resistance. My dad like really holds on to the smell of kak that he used to experience walking down Jerusalem. And the view of the olive trees from his window and my grandparents when they used to talk about the beaches of Haifa and the fig trees that was in their backyard and like having such a solid identity to the beauty of that culture that we continuously remind like remind ourselves what is it that we are remaining strong for and unfortunately there are some generation I mean ever since their generation have not gotten to experience a molecule of that. So now it is our generation's responsibility to resurface this beauty of our culture because this is exactly what we are fighting for. It is not just a physical land, but it is the culture that continues within a people, even the ones who are displaced. So I, I really hope people there you like, go. can draw something from this there episode. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go as to what to do with that previous word we used, rage. Mm. And it's to use it to fuel in a healthy and productive and beautiful way the seeds that you would want to plant moving forward for yourself, more pots and flowers within yourself. You can never have too many plants. That's a personal yeah. you know, opinion of mine. And also in the generations to come. Mm -hmm. And so there you go. And it's not about, you know, again, you know, it, you know, I want to say the word revenge, not to say that you were thinking of, you know, but I mean, it's, it's about, again, kind of going in and what that means for, for you. And that, the beauty of what you just found right there is, becomes the impetus to move um, forward in that direction. And I think you also made a very, 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 very fair point about um, your grandparents and, 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 and your parents' generation kind of and what they saw and so in some ways what they were, you know, not just they, they, they saw in their kind of uh, as an image on a, on, a, on a photo, old photo somewhere. Uh, maybe that's what you were, you know, or, or other generation uh, seeing, um, but what they actually saw and experienced with their own eyes and it is definitely you're absolutely right very different for a generation that is still kind of um you know 
has a cause attached to that, but didn't necessarily doesn't have actual kind of uh, experiential um, or you know uh, experiential memories in real time. Although it is in and of and it's in and of itself a, a a moving and a valuable experience to sit with your grandparents and re-experience <laughs> you know those memories through them as you would with the generations kind of to come so there's um, i think yeah. one of the things that's really fueling me i don't want to close my eyes and not see the victims there is this this feeling of I don't want to forget. I don't want to miss a single body. I don't want to miss a single horrific scene because I need them to be remembered forever. I genuinely need them. This is like I knew I was going to cry in this episode, but like I genuinely need them to not be forgotten. You said this last time we chatted. You, they cannot have gone to waste. Their lives cannot be wasted. In Their vain. humanity cannot be go- in vain. Absolutely. That's, that was what I was saying. And it's, it's, it's really, I'm like holding onto it in my core. And it will not. How can it be? How can it be forgotten? It cannot be forgotten. Some things move this, this earth and this world and they are not, they cannot be forgotten. Yes. Individually, socially, globally, on an existential level. And that's what I mean by the social, humanistic, existential experience that we're all having. This will not be something that's uh, forgotten. Everyone has experienced part in one way of this and uh, as i as i you know i had uh, it was quite uh understandably you know uh, uh overwhelmed when i when i wrote the post that the the gates of heaven are overflowing with these children and i don't think that's something that can you know uh be forgotten and I don't think it will. I hope so. I'm going to read out. Someone sent me a long message. I don't know if we're, if it's a question or whatever. Or maybe just um, tell me what you think. So a person said, I was curious with a question about language. That our dialects and expressions that we use are so hyperbolic. That Westerners consider quite dramatic and intense when it's translated literally. We're also much more expressive with externalizing discontent publicly or even on community levels compared to the West, where community and group dynamics are more individualistic. How does that shape the difference in struggle and disillusionment with the standards and values of the rest of the world? Same person also said, I also was I was also curious what the long term effects of hyper perception of the chronic problems in our region, because I don't think people before saw them in the same way, except through newspapers, radios, and even TVs in the 80s. But were some of the first generations really just growing up in it? And by virtue of knowing more about these injustices, wait feel more hopeless. 
because I've been thinking how my opinions and my understanding have changed so much over time and what that might look like in the long term, especially in the West, that in the West people are much more shielded in these experiences. And so they never learn lessons that others have even talked about like 70, 80 years for like 70, 80 years. Yeah, I feel like we addressed some of these things in yeah. passing. I, f- I feel like we've addressed uh, a good bunch of these things. Maybe I'll speak to the first part of that question. Um, and then, yeah, I'll speak to the first part of that. And and maybe why I'll speak to it is because I was wondering about that as well. Kind of um, the parts of um, not just our, but all different cultures and, and, and what that means in terms of the, you know, expression and self-expression and, you know, tone or affect, uh, affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, not defect, but also affect and how it has an effect. So <laughs> I guess both A and E, <laughs> um, but kind of tone, uh, affect, uh, and the impact or effect, effect that that has. Um what I will say is that we speak from where we come from and, and what we know in terms of how to speak, how to have a dialogue, how to share. And I, and I think that that's okay. And, and that's, you know, we are who we are. Um, what I will say is that, you know, whether that's uh, uh, good for the discussion, uh, appropriate, not appropriate, all that kind of stuff really depends on perspective and lens and where kind of your which angle you're 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 sitting on and, and where or kind of where you're seated and, and how you're taking a look at it from which angle. So. I think that is all relative, but one thing I will say that isn't so relative, that is, from my opinion, kind of um, more definitive, is that it would be healthy for us to have a range of skill sets in knowing how to communicate, express, engage in dialogue, discourse, speech and debate, chatting, it really depends on on what kind of dialogue we're having or what kind of form of expression, be it written, be it artistic. And if it's art, what kind of art does that mean? If it's written, in what style? You know, I just think that it's healthy for us to have a range of different skills so that we can decide when to use what, where, as it is effective and it serves a purpose for us. Um, but to say, you know, are we too emotional? Are we too this? Or is it helpful? Is it not? It's all relative. It's all different options. It's all relative. But what's healthy? I low-key want to dispute that, though. Dispute what? Tell me. Dispute. Let's go. I think, um, I genuinely think that Arabs are now feeling the pressure to, like, perform to do everything they can to represent their cause to the Western person. And I just want to be like, you know what, man, you don't have to apologize for your language. You don't have to, you know, apologize for being emotional. If anything, that's such a beautiful part of our culture. And if 
the person in front of you is refusing to empathize saraha shwaya toz shwaya because like unfortunately we have to like really represent our cause because this is a matter of life or death but at its core like you know what if you want to say toz i i think we're both saying the same thing (laughs) but i think the manner in which i think the manner in which that i'm saying it is probably using the certain tone and style that i have to because i am um you know here on a you know kind of in a specific space but again people are allowed to express themselves in the way that makes sense to them they are who they are but i still would also say and truly this is my personal and professional perspective which is fair it's just one doesn't mean much uh that i think it's healthy to have uh various types of skill sets to see what you want to use where what you could when and where that is my perspective that said i don't think there's a need for an apology here be who you are speak in the way that it comes about to you if it is genuine and if if it is you know coming about gener- genuinely there is no need for a performance here i would never uh encourage a performance for anyone the whole point of our existence is authenticity be, be within the range of this topic or outside you know um um but yeah so definitely i think we're both saying the same thing i'm just probably being a psychologist in how i'm saying it which is long and i'm just being (laughs) no no you're just you're not being any of that you're just being yourself and i'm being the professional me which is going to say things in long-winded sentences Uh, because that's what we do best I want to Almuskila I think I left the last question to like the one that needed like the long but here here goes nothing go for someone it. asked how do you overcome survivor's guilt we've been talking for over an hour so I really did I know the worst question to end this with <laughs> I personally for me it's you should never apologize for a living agree Don't Agreed. let anyone make you feel guilty for surviving to live. Agreed. That's what these people who did not survive want. Agreed. And and that's kind of why I'm saying, what do you or what does this person mean by that? Because people are experiencing survivor's guilt, whether they are Palestinian or not. So 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 on some level, in some way. So that's why I'm saying, what is meant here? Are we are we speaking about the general guilt? That, what, what kind of guilt are we talking about? And how is it relevant? And that's probably where, in some ways, this does come full circle because... The start of the podcast was, you know, when I was saying what what I would, what I'm, let's say, uh, most frustrated with, Henry Ship Shabalae or whatever, you know, um, what I'm most frustrated with or disappointed in is the current state that we're in, where we're feeling torn and. You know, we're feeling this guilt for something. We, we there, there was no choice. What choice? There should be no feelings of guilt for having lived and survived. You know? But we can see in, in, in many ways what we choose to do while we live. And it doesn't always have to be posting on social media. And it doesn't, it, it can be having a healthy, constructive conversation talking to it like just being just being a person just being supportive to the person right next to you or it can be writing something about this i mean 
I think um, you know yeah. everything that we are doing collectively yeah. around the world is so that we live yeah. is so that we survive yeah. and if you have succeeded yeah. at that good yeah. that's the yeah. point that is the yeah. point this is what we want to have so you have permission to enjoy it do not feel guilty yeah. please I think this is a good mo- like moment to ask you. Do you have any closing remarks? Um, not off the top of my head. Um, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, this is a... I think maybe my closing remark will be to remember that we're... Or maybe I'm trying to plant a seed that we are on the brink of a renaissance of a beautiful... Uh, uh, collective uh, uh, really the, 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 the identity here isn't in crisis it's actually uh, all the pieces are coming together and it will put together something really really beautiful and I truly and genuinely uh, believe that and see that and maybe that's a choice that I choose to see it that way and I stand by that choice and from behind the lens of that choice I hope uh, to see others who uh, want to use that lens and framework um, to, to, to create something uh, more beautiful than, than how it was before. And I'm definitely ready to take some Arabic classes so that I can start. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so yeah. excited because I, I really do love Arabic. <laughs> Absolutely. I will say this. I'm going to reiterate for me. Just remember, joy is an act of resistance. We have been deprived of our own culture for so long. Someone might as well enjoy it. <laughs> Someone might as well eat knafe and dabke and flip al-ma'lube and just enjoy our, your culture to its purest form because this is what we are fighting for. Beauty, life, joy. This is what we are fighting for. Thank you, Malak, for taking Thank a minute you. in this difficult time to talk to me. Thank you. And for everyone who has been listening, I'm sending you all hugs because I know every single person needs it. And I hope you can find any morsel of joy in this difficult time and that you can hold on to your families and just love them and remember how precious every moment is. And just... It's, it's so important and just make sure that their lives have not gone in vain.